Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Is that the moment that I started a couple of weeks ago called the Spirit of the Book? Last week spoke about a spirit of faith because that is the Spirit of the Book. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 gives us an insight into how God works because it says this that He has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. That's not the old, but the new one. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, without heart, there is no power to bless. Probably many of us could remember sometime in our life when maybe you've been invited to dinner, either at someone's home or to go out with them and Everything was beautiful and it was all presented well and the the setting was great and the menu was brilliant. But without a warmth of welcome, you could hardly wait for that night to end. That's what the Scripture is saying, that the power is not in the form, the power is in the heart that goes with it. That song is not powerful because someone wrote clever words. It's powerful when you bring your heart to it and you begin to sing, your way is better. This is my surrender. I will make room for you. When you engage with the words of that, that song stops being a beautiful song that'll stay in the charts as it were for a while. And it becomes an expression of you and where your life is at and the direction of your life. You begin to say, God, You know, I'm not stuck according to what everyone else is saying or by the circumstances of my life, but I've already made my decision. I have already decided that I'm going to surrender to you. I've already decided that your will will be my will. I've already decided, Lord, that whatever your plan is for my life, that is what I'm going to walk in. And if it walks me through great days, I'll be excited and and give you the glory. But Lord, if it walks me through difficult days and days of pain and days of confusion, days of uncertainty, then Lord, exactly the same. I am going to still in that place, lift my hands to you and say, God, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. You know, in the book of Revelation, when the blood of the martyrs cries out, you know, but they're there in heaven giving glory to God. Why? Because we don't give glory to God for the good things only that happen in our life, but we give Him glory because His way is the best way. And when it comes to the spirit of faith, the same principle applies. Some people over years of, of teaching, I guess, have almost begun to view faith as a means of getting God to do what you want, reducing God to some kind of a formula, but that is never the case. We said last week that faith, the spirit of faith starts from a different point. It starts from Psalm 119 verse 63. God, you are good and you do good. And when you start from that, even when you don't know what's going on or it doesn't make sense, or when you say, how come? Or how did I get here? You know, I've got written up on a whiteboard in my office at home in my study. It's a thing that says this. It says, it's not how you get into a trial that counts, but it's where you're going while you're in it. 
It's not about where I am right now. So many people get into a trial and begin looking back to the entry points, saying, well, if only and how come and God, it's not fair and it shouldn't and all the rest of that, rather than looking ahead and saying, Lord, my eyes are not on yesterday, but they are on tomorrow. God, because you are good and you do good and I will believe that until hell freezes over and I'll believe that, Lord, because I'm walking with you and if I walk with you, good things are always going to be in store. Amen. Amen. So the Apostle John can be on the Isle of Patmos exiled for the sake of the Lord. That's what he says in the opening few verses of the book of Revelation. He's cut off from family and he's cut off from friends and he's cut off from fellowship, but he wasn't cut off from Jesus. And it's in the place of the greatest difficulty of his entire life. He has escaped being beheaded by Herod, uh, not like James who, whose head was taken off. He's escaped being in prison, not like Peter, who had to have an angel come and kick him awake. Such was his peace in the middle of his storm and wake him up and stir him and say, go out into the marketplace and preach to the people the words of life. And Peter thinks he's in a dream, but he gets up in the middle of that thing and walks out and supernaturally the guards have, have fainted or in a coma beside the gates and the gate swings open. A huge gate, not a small garden gate, but a massive heavy gate that took several men to open, but it opens all by itself. And Peter goes walking out of there. And John has not had any of that stuff. All he gets is being stuck on a lonely, rocky island all by himself. But it says this, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I don't know about you, but... I want to be someone who's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day because the Lord's Day is Monday and the Lord's Day is Tuesday. Amen. Every day is the Lord's Day. It's not a Saturday or a Sunday. Every day is the Lord's Day and I want to be in the Spirit regardless of what day because I know that even if I'm on an Isle of Patmos, if I'm in the Spirit, I see something that nobody else around about me ever gets to see. It says this in the book of Revelation chapter 1, that he was in the Spirit of the Lord's Day and he saw someone whose, whose head was like a flame of fire. He said like the sun that shines in its strength and his garment was glistening white, whiter than any detergent could ever make. And he was there and he heard the voice of Jesus speak to him. Wow. Come on. You know, are you in the spirit on the Lord's day or are you still in the flesh? Complaining about the rocky island and the isolation. He's there. Without heart. All the form in the world's got no power. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6 says. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, which is where I wanted to go before all that I just said. Genesis 12 verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, if you had a paper Bible, I'd say underline that. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you'll be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you, curse him who curses you. And in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord spoke to him 
and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years young or old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions they'd gathered, and the people whom they'd acquired in Haran that departed to gather the land of Canaan, that came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed to the land of the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were then the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants, I'm going to give this land. There he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, and Ao on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. This guy just everywhere he goes, he built an altar. Everywhere he goes, come on. Today I want you to think about, God, where am I right now? And maybe I didn't want to be here. Maybe family's back there. Maybe comfort's back there. Maybe safety's back there. Maybe success, because he was already a wealthy man. Maybe success is back there. But he goes, you know what, wherever I am, he said, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord because I know that wherever you take me, your way is better. And so if I'm out in the middle between Bethel and Ai, that's a nowhere place. He's not in either of them. He's in a nowhere place. And he says, even though I'm in a nowhere place and I've left all that stuff behind, he says, God, you know, I'm going to build an altar because I'm glad to be here. An altar is where you sacrifice gladly unto the Lord. I'm glad to be here. Lord, I'm glad to be here because I'm in your will. I'm glad to be here, Lord, because I could have been back there out of your will in comfort and in safety and the familiar surroundings. But God, I'd rather be out in this place. So I build an altar. I build an altar. Come on, I build an altar. Come on, I build an altar. Come on, some of you here today, God wants you to build an altar right where you are. You say, Jeff, you don't know the pain that I'm in. I'm saying, God, build an altar. Come on, build an altar. Build an altar to worship God. It's not an altar of, hey, this isn't everything great. Abram's journey was not about everything great. It was one of unrelenting disappointment for 24 years. It was about conflict when he goes into Hagar, his wife's maid, and Ishmael becomes the result. There is very little in all of that. He gets misunderstood all the way along. But wherever he goes, this man builds an altar unto the Lord. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. So Abraham journeyed, verse 9, going on still. Going on still. Come on, build an altar and then go on still. Build an altar and then say, God, come on, some of you here today. Come on, some of you here today. Build the altar and then say, God, I'm going to go on. God, come on, build the altar. I'm going to go on. Build the altar. Don't build an altar to your pain. Don't build a a memorial to what's gone wrong. Don't build, I've seen people do it, where they build almost a shrine to what they've lost. And we, God isn't asking you to build an altar to remember what you don't have. He's asking you to build an altar to remember that He's the God who called you, that He's the God of covenant, that He's the God who's got a future for you, that He's God who's got another step beyond where you are now. And He wants you to take that in Jesus' Name and move on from where you are and begin to leave the altar where you are and journey on. I worship You, Lord, but I'm going on. I worship You, God, in the midst of my pain. But God, I'm going on from where I am. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Come on. But I want you to come back with me to the beginning of that. Now, the Lord said to Abram, I said, if you had a paper Bible, I'd ask you to underline it. The Lord said to Abram, verse 1, verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And it says, And Lot went with him. Well, I believe that there's a big difference between sent and went. Abram was sent 
And Lot just went. Maybe he just wanted to leave home. He's the younger one. Maybe he goes, you know what? If I go with Uncle Abraham, I get out of boring. I get a quick release. And this sounds exciting. Bit of an adventure. He says, God told him, that sounds cool. And Lot goes from where he is. But Abram makes his decisions from this point on in his life. Always out of revelation. And Lot makes his always out of reason. Abram makes his decisions out of God said. He said, go, I'm going to give you the land. Go walk up and down the land. So Abram just starts walking up and down the land. Come with me quickly to Genesis chapter 13. I'll show you what I mean in a more graphic way. Verse 9, there's been a conflict between uh, Lot's employees and Abram's. And so Abram gets to him and says this, is not the whole land before you? He says, come up here and have a look. Look at all this. Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll take the left. In other words, you choose. Now watch this. And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. And so you know what Lot's going to do because he's a man of reason. He goes, I'm a, a grazier. I've got sheep and I've got livestock. I want a farm. That looks like the best spot. So he chooses it for himself, disregarding his uncle that has led him and kept him thus far. No, he goes, no, whatever's best for me is what I'm going to take. And so he chooses that. Chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Watch this. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, which is what God said, I'll give you. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. This guy goes, you know what? Whatever's best for me, I don't care if that takes me into wickedness. I don't care, you know, hello, look after number one. Make sure whatever decisions you make, you put you at the top of the decision-making pile. And reason makes decisions out of what suits me and how I feel and what looks good. Revelation makes decisions out of what God said and what He is saying. And this guy, you follow his whole journey. He's forever ever having to be rescued by the man of revelation. I'll let that one sit for a bit. Now, am I saying today that reasoning or thinking is wrong? Am I saying that somehow or other becoming a believer, a follower of Jesus is you park your brain, you leave your intelligence outside? Well, I don't believe that's true at all. Here is an example because this thought popped into my head as I was preparing this message. I wonder how many Nobel Prize winners were people of faith. I Googled it. Hello. Isn't that what we all do? I was shocked, genuinely shocked at how many people were Christians who won the Nobel Prize. Are you ready for this? 65.4% of Nobel Prize winners from 1901 to the year 2000 were Christians or of Christian background. 
In physics, it was 60%. In chemistry, you don't know why the chemists get up there, it's 72.5% of all Nobel Prize winners said, I'm a Christian. Medicine, 62%. That's two out of every three almost. Economics, don't ask me why, if you're an economist, you're only 54%. All the economists go, well, brother, I'm trying to get the percentage up. Wait, wait for this. 78.3% of all, that's almost four out of every five recipients of the Peace Prize were Christians. So I know that when it comes to reason, we're not talking here about leaving your brain out. We're talking about what you allow to make your decisions. This church is full of highly educated people, great thinkers. But we have sung that song and meant that song. We have submitted our will to His will. See, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self-oriented reasoning. The opposite of faith is not doubt, like some people think. It's when you elevate self-oriented reasoning to the point where you can talk yourself out of every revelation, out of every prompting of the Holy Spirit, out of every encouragement of God to do this thing and to, you know, to give or to serve or to bless or to make this choice. And you can talk yourself out of it and it becomes the enemy of the spirit of faith in your life. Here, I'll give you another example. Samson had an amazing gift. Everybody has heard of Samson. Incredible strength. Could go and pick up city gates that seriously took 50 men to put up and he could go and pick them up and put them on his shoulders and carry them away and, and take them up a hill. Amazing gift. But if you go and study the life of Samson, you'll discover that all of his life he was led by reason and not by revelation. If you go and study it, and I have, his mother heard from God. This son of yours shall be a Nazarite from the womb. Don't let a razor touch his head. He'll never touch strong drink. She goes home and tells her husband. He says, I, I want to hear the same. He goes out in the same place. The angel appears to him as well and says exactly the same thing. But right through the life of Samson, there's not one moment where Samson hears from God. Samson had a second-hand vision and he had a second-hand faith. He made all of his decisions based on self-oriented reasoning. I like the look of that woman, Dad. Go get her for me. Father, but she's a Philistine and you know they're our enemies. He said, I don't care. I like her. Well, he goes and gets her and then when that doesn't work out so well, he goes and gets another one. Again, another Philistine. Self-oriented reasoning always will lead you to a place of pain. When you elevate it above trusting God in your life, come on. Now, I'm, I know I'm asking some of you to wrestle a bit because you've lived your whole life just going, well, I just make my own choices. And maybe today the Holy Spirit wants to crack open that shell and put something inside of you. It says, Lord, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to do what you want. Not being stupid. God doesn't ask you to invent his voice. You know what I mean? He doesn't ask you to go, the Lord told me. You know, he, 
there's only one gift of all of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's only one that you're invited to test. And that's the gift of prophecy. Test it. In other words, don't just be gullible. God's not into getting gullible people. We're not a cult. Just get them to believe anything. Aliens are coming. So let me wrap this up and help you with this this morning. Because when I read that and I see that Abram was sent and Lot just went and I see the result of just making decisions based around that. I go, why did God speak to Abram? Verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram. And so I asked that question, why did God speak to Abram and not to Lot? And then immediately I realised I'm asking the wrong question. Because maybe the right question ought to be, why did Abram hear and Lot didn't? You cannot tell me that God is just a God of exclusivity. It says in the book of Romans, He's no respecter of persons. If He'll talk to me, He'll talk to you. If He'll talk to your neighbour, He'll talk to you. If He'll speak to a prophet, He'll speak to you. The problem is sometimes He's talking, but no one's listening. Amen. We just got our heads down, our butt up, and we're plowing ahead. Just thank God bless this. He said, but I never told you to go there. You're just wenting. He said, I'm looking for the sentings. Huh? Maybe the question ought to be, why did Abram hear and Lot didn't? Amos chapter 8 and verse 11 says this. It says, in the last days, there's going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Not a famine of the words of the Lord, but a famine of hearing them. We don't live in a time where God's not saying anything or God's not moving, but we are living in a time where there's a famine of people wanting to listen. Huh? Hello, come on, read your paper. We've gotten so woke, we put God where we don't even, well, He's not even there. And he's still speaking. Amen. He's still speaking. There's still an army of people all over the world, literally all over the world, everywhere you go. I'll never forget watching the ABC program. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was on in the, in the nighttime and they showed, a, a, it might have been foreign correspondent, and they showed a Mongolian man and his family standing out in front of their yurt with their yak next to them. And they've got their hands raised up and they've taken a drone shot over the top. And you hear the voiceover of the Australian interviewer say this, there is a tidal wave of revival sweeping Mongolia that the authorities are powerless to stop. In Mongolia with the yurts and the yaks. And the Holy Spirit is out there amongst those nomadic people saying, but I'm going to move. Not about you, but when I hear that the biggest point of distribution for Gideon Bibles in the entire world is India. That in the last 15 years, they've given away 1 billion copies of God's Word in the last 15 years. And that's in India. And not about you, and I hear all of that, and I say, oh God, Please look at Australia. Oh God, please look at this nation. Oh God, please don't let us just be a, a place where Christians gather and celebrate, 
But God, would you pour out your spirit upon this nation? God, would you raise up this great south land of the Holy Spirit? Whoever called it that, I don't know. But God, would you raise it up? God, would you raise it up? Would you do something in this land? God, we don't want to have church. We want to be the church. A famine of hearing the words of the Lord. So come with me as I finish. Come with me back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. I'll read it to you again. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out from your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Let me tell you three things that I believe characterize the spirit of faith and people that have and carry a spirit of faith. And it's not that they talk the big lingo and that they've kind of got it all down pat and they've got their doctrine nice and neatly sewn up and done up with a pink bow and there it is. But rather it's this. Number one, they lean into here. People who have a spirit of faith want to hear God because they know your way is better. I want to hear what he's got to say. I've lived long enough to see the fruit of Jeff and all Jeff's great ideas. As Leo said to me today, he said, when we talked about the collapsing of the, the pancake shakers, he said, you've had worse ideas, you know. But he's right, I have. I've had lots of them. I've had a lot of things that didn't work out. Sometimes God doesn't seem to mind because he just wants you to, I think he'd rather have someone do something than the people who are sitting around going, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, mm, 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 mm. Some people are just like, they're so deep with Jesus that even God can't find them. They're that far down. God's going, I know I'm going to believe here somewhere. Where are they again? Anyone seen them? And the angel says, don't worry, Lord, they've gone deep, deep. Can I just say this while I'm at it? Listen, deep teaching that doesn't make you a better believer and doer of the Word of God is a pile of nonsense. I'll say, just, I'll say that nicely. Serious. Come on. Get in there. If it doesn't make you a better husband, better wife, better mother, better father, better, better employee... Then I wonder what you're learning. Anyway, they lean into here. I better go back. They lean into here. Here's the second thing. They trust God for their future. Don't you love that part of verse 2 where it says this? God says, get out of your father's house, away from your family, to a land that I will show you. God didn't say, here's a map. It's going to be good. Look, that's where you can stop and sleep tonight. There'll be food right there. It's going to all be good. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, get up and go. And Abram says, you know what? I'm leaning into here and I've heard. He says, so I trust God for my future. And so Abram takes him and he's a wealthy man. He's got stuff galore. There's livestock and employees and everything. And he's out there with a whole caravan, the whole cavalcade of them going through the desert. And every morning Sarah says, where are we going? He goes, we're going forward. That's where we're going. Come on, are you with me today? Can you say from your heart when someone says, yeah, but where are we going? You just say, you know what? Oh, we're just going forward. That's what I know. 
We're going into our future in Jesus' name. We're going forward into vision in the name of Jesus. We don't have a vision Sunday every year in this church because quite frankly, in the 34 years since we started, our vision's never ever changed. It's win the lost and grow the saved. And that's the vision. And we don't need to hear a more detail than God, let's go forward into all that you have for us. They trust God for their future. Here's the third thing, is that people who have a spirit of faith make room for God's more. They make room for God's more. You've got to understand that Abram is already a successful entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He's already got a lot going on. And he's with his family. And, but when God speaks, he leaves behind the known, the familiar, the easy. But that's what's made room for God's more. Amen. That's what made room for more. I believe with all my heart, God's got more for us individually and corporately. And I don't want to be tired like the song says. I don't want to be tired to all my tradition. I thought about that. I thought, you know, it doesn't take long to make a tradition, does it? If you're married, you know that's true. Some people, you can tell what day of the week it is by what's on the dinner table. Oh, lamb cutlets must be Wednesday. Now we do that. If you want more, God says, will you lean into here? Will you trust me with your future? He said, will you make room? Come on, team, come. We're going to sing it together. I want you to have a couple of moments just right now, right where we are. I want you to have a couple of moments to sing this song again. You can stand, you can kneel, you can sit. You can just take a minute. Don't move unless you got it. This is for you right now and for me. I will make room for you. Because surrender is always the best option when it's focused towards God. Come on, sing it with me. Here we go. Shake 
going to get the team to sing just the chorus of that for a minute. I just stand there thinking, you know, the first day that Abram leaves home, he doesn't immediately land in the land of Canaan. It's not like he immediately goes and goes, oh, I'm here. And look, there's Isaac. He surrenders first. Fruitfulness comes later. So I'm not promising you today that if you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm surrendered to your will, that tomorrow it's going to be radically different and you will win lotto. What I'm saying is, it's the right way and it's the best way. Regardless of what tomorrow looks like. Maybe that first day, Abram just wondered about his dad. Thought about what home had looked like and now he's in a tent. It's not so secure. There's something, isn't there, about the will of God? That when you get in the will of God, all the rest of it, you go, whatever. Come on, team. Sing it for us just a minute. Wherever you are, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm surrendering to you. I'm surrendering. Just one more time. every heart here today you look inside the sometimes the messy way we say yes to you sometimes Lord we say it just because we know it's right we feel not much but we say it anyway other times Lord there's an overflow and a awareness of what it means but God whichever one of those it is or whatever part of the spectrum that it's on it still comes from our heart. We say yes to you. We still say yes to you. We still believe this is the best way. We're glad for it, Lord. Thank you. Just while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, maybe you're here today, maybe you're in the building, maybe online. You say, Jeff, I don't know Jesus. I've never said yes to Jesus. I'm not living in the will of God. I'm living in my own will. My life is just me steering the ship. Bible says that we have a great Saviour. We all need a great Saviour. If you today want to say yes to Jesus, online, I'll tell you how to do that in a minute. But if you're in the building, I'd love you if that's you. Just while people are praying. And you say, Jeff, I'm going to say yes to Jesus today. Would you just slip your hand up, put it back down again. I'll see it. I'll pray with you wherever you are. Thank you. Anybody else, just wherever you are, you say, that's me up in the balcony, down below, wherever you are. I'll make room for you, Lord.
Father, thank you for that person in the building and for those online. I know they'll be there, Lord. I might not see their face, but you do. And today they are saying, Jesus, yes, here's my yes. I want to follow you. And I know what that means, Lord, that I'm really saying it's not my reasoning that's going to run it. But it's what you say, and I'm leaning into here today. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've sang your yes to Jesus, let me tell you how easy it is to make that something that you will remember. Well, I know you'll remember it anyway because Jesus will come into your life. But I want to help you uh, the journey on. Five times God spoke to Abram between Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. You know, it took five chapters for these words to be said about Abram. Verse 17, verse 5 says, And Abram believed God. Faith's not always a moment. Sometimes it's a journey. We want to help you with that journey. That's why we created this thing called Yes Text. If you text YES to 488 if you're in Australia, if you're outside of Australia or you'd rather get our help in your journey of faith via email, then you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. We will send you some help every single day. We'll never write and ask you for money. We'll never write and ask you for anything. The only time we ever send you anything additional is when we let you know there's a water baptism on, like there is next Sunday. Other than that, it's our joy to help you. Father, thank you for everyone that's saying yes to you today or even in the next week as people are being a part of this service online. Thank you for each one that's special and precious to you. Everyone you've been, you've been looking for and helping and bringing and drawing. We thank you for them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I just looked at the clock and saw that I'm a little bit over time. I will make room for you. One more time. To do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to. God bless you. So great to be in church. I know this morning. Don't forget, Grow is our live at five tonight. Solomon Path is going to be online in a minute. Ready to pray. People need prayer. Pastor Rain Kate will be out in the prayer space. Cafe will be open, of course. Tim is just going to sing this so that it trails you out the building. God bless you. Thank you for being faithful to God. Thank you for having a leaning into here. Come on, thank you, Taylor. God bless.